Today we're going to talk about, we're continuing to study the people surrounding David. Remember, we're not actually studying David, we're studying the people surrounding David. Okay, and specifically what we want to answer is we want to answer the question, what did this person do with the Lord's anointed? David in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing people around him all the time that there's, there's this period where David is coming into his kingdom where he's been anointed king. And so he is king, but he's not yet king, right? There's a period where he's anointed king. Um, Samuel anoints him as king. And, but Saul is still king over all of Israel. And so there's a very clear, uh, if you're even remotely a thinking person, you'll see that, Ill, that, that um, I guess that uh, comparison that right now, if I were to look at you and say, is Jesus king of the earth, what's your answer? Yes, and some of y'all would say no, and who would be right? Everyone would be right, right? Is Jesus king right now? Is he the anointed king Yes, he's in the, but, but is Jesus physically king on earth? Well, no, that, that's not, uh, hope, hopefully no one's giving me weird looks right there. And so e- even in that, you can see there's, there's kind of this illustration of there's this time when David is king, but he's not yet king, and we see all these people surrounding him that, that they're, they're, they live in these two worlds, that one of the worlds is, well, Saul is king, he's the one that clearly has all the power, all the, you know, but David is, is really the anointed king who's going to for sure be king. And so you see these people live in these two worlds of where should I go, what do I do? I'm, I'm kind of caught in the middle here. Okay, and so we're going to uh, look today. We're going to introduce a guy named Abner. Uh, he is a great example of he's going through his life. And here's Saul who's in power. Yet here's David who is coming into power. And he lives in between, right? And he lives in this, I know I'm devoted to... To one of these guys, and, and, and he knows, well, he eventually knows David's going to be king, and he's figuring out that Saul is losing power, but we see him kind of struggle back and forth between what do I do, and the only question that matters is what did Abner do with David? What did he do with the Lord's anointed? Because that's the only question that's going to matter for us. That's it. Nothing else will matter is what did we do with the Lord's anointed with Jesus Christ that's what the word Christ means it means the anointed one and so uh, we're going to go through um, studying Abner this morning we're going to start in 1st Samuel 17 we're going to we're going to cover a lot of material so stay with me here we're going to flip forward um, but uh, we'll get through it it'll be great Um, and let me say this also if if it's your first time here I want to clarify this morning I threw out my back and it's still spasming. So if at any point I hear like I'm sitting here and you just see me go, that's not prophetic utterances. I'm not speaking in tongues. Okay. That's me trying not to scream uh, profanities at the top of my lungs because of how bad my back hurts. Okay. So some of y'all, if you hear, if you hear you think speaking in tongues, like, yes, it's time. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not, it's probably not going to happen here. Just so you know. Okay. So first Samuel 17 and remember uh, we'll, we're probably going to move pretty quick, but we've got a lot to cover here. First Samuel chapter 17 is the story of David um, versus Goliath. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. We're going to pick up at the end of that story, and we're going to introduce this guy named Abner. He's who we're studying today is Abner. Okay, so um, look in chapter 17, verse 48. Let's start there. I'm going to read a little bit. And then we'll talk a little bit. 
verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, so that's as Goliath moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. This, this part's always left out of the children's book, by the way. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Then the Philistines saw that their hero was dead. They turned and ran. When the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron, their dead were strewn along the Sha'arim road. Again, this is not in the children's book. We're just dead bodies laid everywhere. We kind of leave that part out. To Gath and Ekron, when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took uh, the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Now, verse 55, it's going to kind of do a quick backflash to the very beginning, and that's very common in the Old Testament. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, okay, so this is when David was first going to fight Goliath, he said to, who's that? Abner. So this is where he's first introduced, and we're going to learn a lot about the guy. First of all, he said to Abner, commander of the army. So Abner was commander of Saul's army, uh, very loyal to Saul, and he was actually Saul's cousin as well. So there was a blood-born... relationship, obviously a blood-borne relationship, but there was a blood-borne pact between Saul and Abner. Um, Saul said to Abner, commander of the army, now look at this question, this is very important. He says, Abner, whose son is that young man? Okay, okay, so stop there. Remember, in Old Testament, he, he, he wants to know everything he can about David. Saul sees David walking out, and he says, I want that guy's resume. He says, I want to know what authority does he have to do what he's doing, and where does he go to find authority? What, what's the only question he asks? What? Who's, who's his son? Or who, whose son is that? You see that? And so when he wants to know his authority, he says, I want to know who is that man born to. He doesn't say, hey, tell me what he's trained in. He doesn't say, tell me his education. He doesn't. He says, I need to know whose whose family is that man. Because in in the Old Testament and in the Bible and in the New Testament, your authority comes from your name. And your name comes from your family. Whose father, uh, or who is your father, right? And so... We have a very difficult time with this because we, we very, very much attach our authority and identity to what we do, right? Um, if you're accomplished in higher education, you are not known as Mr. Smith. You're known as what? Dr. Smith, right? Or maybe your name has some letters after it, you know, John Smith, PhD, blah, 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 right? Or whenever we meet someone, what's the very, very first question we ask? After I get their name, what do I say? What do you do? And so the reason I'll probably always emphasize this is because our culture will constantly attach someone's authority and their identity with what they do. That's what the culture does, okay? 
That's not an evil thing of itself. It's not. It's just what we do. We're just different, okay? But the difficulty is, is to separate those. And especially as a church, we can not attach someone's uh, lifestyle with the person. We can't do it. And, and this, is where, uh, this is what I mean, is that if I were to stand up and, stand, um, and say, hey, here's a, here's a guy that we know, uh, he has, he's had a, a very rough past, a guy or girl, this guy's robbed 20 banks or whatever it is, you know? As a church, is that guy welcome in our church? Yes, he is. And what we're going to do as a church, what we're called to do is to stand next to that person and to say, we love this guy. We love him. Now, we're not always for what he does, but we're always for him, right? And we're going to love people, we're going to hate the sin, but that also means that we live with the consequences of that, right? Um, the reason that's a problem is because some people, even, even within churches, is they'll see you loving a type of person, and they'll say, oh, so you're for that lifestyle. I'll use the word lifestyle. You might know what I'm talking about. They'll say, oh, so you support what that person does. No, no I, I don't support what they do. I, I'm for them. I love them, right? And imagine this guy that, that comes into our door and he's robbed 20 banks. Imagine next week he robs another bank. I, I can go up to that man and I can say, John, I love you, but you need to go to jail. For real. That's what it means to love the person, hate the sin. And we're going to come visit you in jail, and, when you, and we're going to take care of your family while you're in jail. But dude, we live with the consequences of our actions. And I love you, and I'm always for you but that doesn't mean I'm for what you do, okay? And, and the reason I'm harping on this is this, consider this a warning, okay? Dear Christians, when we truly love people, when we really do, when we truly embrace them, not what they do, you have a target on your back. Do you know what I mean when I say that? So this, this is a bit of a warning. When we really live out the gospel and say, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, I still love you as a person. I'm not always for what you do. As soon as you do that, people are going to start looking at you and say, uh, I don't, I don't know about that. Especially we live in a very church culture. Do you follow me on that when I say you've got a target on your back? Okay. Um, so let that be a warning. But that's, uh, that's the culture we live in is we attach identity with what you do. Um, okay, so look. What verse was I just in? He said... Um, 50, 55, there it is. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the armor, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied. Now notice, this is the first time we ever hear Abner talk. Look what he knows about the Lord's anointed. Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I don't know. Okay. So this is fair. Look, we have to be fair here. There is a time when Abner, in his life, he lived in ignorance of the Lord's anointed. We have to be fair here, right? He was raised in the house of Saul. That's all he ever knew, right? And he's, he, maybe he'd seen or heard about David. He's not really sure. But when it comes down to it, when someone said, who's that guy? He looked at him and he said, I don't know, I don't know who he is. I don't, I don't know Saul. I'm sorry. So keep that in mind because that answer is going to change pretty soon. Okay, so... Flip over to 1 Samuel chapter um, 31. I just want to glance at something right here. 
So keep in mind, between chapters 17 and 31, lots of stuff happens. Abner is still Saul's general, okay? So he has a very high position in his, um, in his army. Um, Abner is under the leadership of Saul. Abner has so far, so far he spent his entire life fighting David. You see that? Actively fighting David. Um, and then what happens, God's mercy on Abner's life strikes, okay? So, so don't, don't miss the picture here. Here's the Lord's anointed. Abner has spent his life running from the Lord's anointed, pursuing this uh, terrible king, right? We could even call it an idol in his life that he said, this is what I'm about. I'm going after this thing over here. And, and God, his mercy strikes in Abner's life. How is God's mercy displayed? Look at chapter 31 of 1 Samuel. We don't even have to read the chapter. What's your chapter title say? Mine says, Saul takes his life. And so what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 31 is Saul and his son Jonathan are killed in battle. Okay, so, so don't miss this either because, man, this, this speaks to me. Is that Abner so far has spent his life running from the king. God's mercy... God's mercy is when he takes away his idol. Do you see that? Was that a difficult, difficult day for Abner? Yeah, don't miss that. God's mercy is when he removes this thing that Abner had lived for out of his life, right? This is the mercy of God in our lives. It's whenever we may be bowing down to something. And when I say bow down, I, I, I really don't mean physically. Uh, but it might be spiritually. It might be emotionally. That there's this thing in our lives that we might be chasing after. That it's, it's it, I'm going to call it what it is. It's our idol. It's the thing. If we can achieve that thing, if we can get to this thing, then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll have fulfillment. And we can spend our entire lives running towards that thing, we can either actively or passively be rejecting the Lord, running towards that thing, and the mercy of God is when He takes that thing from us, right? Now, some things that might be extremely difficult to say, the mercy of God in our lives might be when He removes our health. This is not the prosperity gospel. I want you to know that. If, if we have placed ourselves and our health as our idol, do you understand at times when God says, I'm taking your health from you, this is the mercy of God. And it, it forces us to be at the absolute end of our rope. It forces us to absolutely hit rock bottom, right? If, if we've placed our identity in our job or our career or how much money we make, it's the mercy of God when he sees, I see my child chasing after this thing that in the end it's, it's fruitless the mercy of God is when he says, I'm going to take this thing from you. And sometimes the mercy of God is when we lose our job. Sometimes the mercy of God is when we lose our health. Sometimes the mercy of God is when we have a huge financial crisis and our, our bank account is completely depleted. That's the mercy of God. Right? And so think of it this way. Um, why is that? the mercy of God, right? Honestly, I'm, I hope, I'm hoping somebody's thinking that, right? Is, here's the reason. 
is because if, imagine yourself as a pie chart, okay? If you have given 99% of yourself to the Lord, 99%, that's pretty good, right? Come on, that's pretty good. Anyone? Nine, if, if you've given 99% of yourself over to the Lord, if you've died to yourself 99%, but there's 1% that you still keep for yourself, there's 1% that, that you still keep hidden, you, me, us, we will live our lives out of that 1%. We will operate out of that 1%. We will. Here's a, here's a really stupid illustration, but I think it works, is that... Um, I mean, it was years ago, I was a youth pastor, and we went, one of our camps was up in Colorado, and we had this game that we'd play, it was like a team building game, right, and everybody would, there's a line of us, maybe 10 of us, and you put your hands on the person in front of you, and we all had blindfolds on, so they gave us a blindfold, and the object is you, you cover your eyes completely, and then we're going to go for a walk in Colorado, and it was, it was pretty fun, and it was yet pretty challenging, okay? Um, but here's the thing, is that everyone in line was blindfolded. The person at the very front of the line could see, and we had like a couple camp counselors that were walking alongside us. Lit- literally, if we started to fall, they would they'd push us back up. Now, we're not like on the edge of a cliff, okay? I mean, it's just we're kind of walking through a path. And it was a pretty cool little illustration, because what you'll find is that at first, you fight it. You fight it, you fight it, you fight it. You know, you, you, you don't trust the person. But then, when you start to relax and when you start to understand, hey, if, if this person goes, I'm going with them, and we're all going together, and I've got people that are helping me, right? I have someone going before me. I have someone going behind me. This is, I think I'm going to be okay, right? Do you see that, right? Now, here's the thing. Even as a 100% grown adult, I had this blindfold on, and everybody knows how the blindfold works, right? You cover it up, but what can you always do? It's like, right? Again, I said this is a stupid illustration, but it works. I could see about 1% of what I normally did. Do you follow me on this? When I am blindfolded, I can see just a little bitty bit, and guess where I focused all of my attention? That tiny 1%. And by the way, how ridiculous. Because I have people around me that could see everything. Every, and they're sitting here, and, they're t- and at times they'd even put their hands on, on my shoulders, and they'd say, hey, there's some rocks coming up, just be careful. How foolish and arrogant of me to ignore their counsel, to ignore the fact that I'm in this with other people, and instead, what do I focus on? My 1%. And I'm, I am telling you, if we have died to ourselves 99%, but we still have that tiny, tiny, tiny little bit that we're hoarding to ourselves, we will operate out of that tiny 1%, okay? And that can be anything. It can be so many different things, right? And so, uh, this was, we see this again, Abner, he's been chasing, staying with Saul, God's mercy is when he removes that 1%. Do you see that? Okay. And now Abner has a chance to respond. Abner says, the Lord has removed this idol from my life. What am I going to do? Okay, now I told you we're going to flip a lot. Keep moving forward. Go to 2 Samuel. It's right after 1 Samuel. 
um, chapter 8. Chapter 8 is right after, oh, I'm sorry, no, chapter 2, chapter 2. Chapter 2 is right after chapter 1. So 2 Samuel chapter 2. So the beginning of chapter 2 says that David is anointed as king over Judah. Okay, so notice what has happened is Saul has died, his son Jonathan has died, David has now become king over Judah, over the southern part of Israel. Abner has a choice to make. Abner must, he's, he's recognized, hey, the Lord has removed Saul from my life. Here's the true king. Here's the true king that I've heard about, that I know he's good. I've heard the stories. This dude, people are talking about him. He cannot be stopped. Here's the true king. And watch what Abner does. And oh my goodness, if it's not a picture of us. Watch. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 8. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead, Asherai, and Jezreel, and also over Ephraim, Benjamin, and all Israel. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he reigned two years. The house of Judah, however, followed David. Okay, so again, what we see... <laughs> And this is kind of laughable if we actually reflect on our own lives, is that Abner's chasing after Saul. God, in his mercy, removes this idol from Abner's life. And what does Abner do? He takes someone else and sets him in the exact same place, right? He had a chance to follow the Lord's anointed, but instead he takes and sets up another idol for which him that he wants to follow, right? Now, I hope that we can make that connection that, my gosh, that's what we do, don't, right? Don't make this a thing that happened years ago, is that we, as people, and I'm, I'm talking to myself here as well, is that we chase after these silly things, and when they're either removed from us or when we get them, what immediately happens? We immediately want something else. We immediately go after the next thing, Right? This thing that we, that we have is immediately no longer enough for us, and we have to go on to the next thing. This is, this is the story of most of our, our lives, is that we, it's just this same cycle of God's mercy removing these things, and then we just set up another idol in place. We set up another king in our life. Are you all following me on that? <clears throat> okay, so move forward. The story moves on. I told you we're going to do a lot. Uh, just look at chapter 3, 2 Samuel chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David is growing stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And at this point, don't forget, Abner is on team Saul. He still, he's worship, or he set Ishbosheth up as king. Uh, verses 2 to 5 tell you, it says, sons were born to David. Okay, so that's not a random... Uh, hey, here's, here's the family of David. What he's saying is, in the Old Testament, whenever it tells you that many sons were born, that's a, an Old Testament way of saying the Lord was blessing this guy. Okay, 
And so verse 1 just says, hey, David's house is getting stronger and stronger. Saul's house is getting weaker and weaker. And so the writer of 2 Samuel is saying, here's, here's how you know David's house is getting stronger. Here's all the sons he had. Okay, uh, Verse 6. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner, this is interesting, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. Okay, Now if you're a thinker, that's very fascinating because what's happening to Saul's uh, dynasty right now? It's going down. And Abner is strengthening his position in this thing that's eventually going to die off. It's like, I've heard it said this way, and I think it's at least worth a chuckle. It's as if you boarded the Titanic and fought for the luxury suite. No, this is my room. Get out of my room. You go, like, that ship's going down. You know what I mean? This is what Abner's doing. Is he's, he's strengthening his position in the house of Saul. Verse 7, uh, now Saul had a concubine named Rizpah, daughter of Ai, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, Watch how Ishbosheth is going to treat this guy. Why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Abner was very angry because of what Ishbosheth said, and he answered, Am I a dog's head on Judah's side? This very day I am loyal to the house of your father Saul and to his family and friends. I haven't handed you over to David, yet now you accuse me of an offense involving this woman? Okay, so do you see what's happening here? Abner has set Ishbosheth up as king, and what does this dude do? He turns around and treats him very, very poorly. Imagine how Abner feels. Here's this thing that he thought this is going to be it. This will be the thing that fulfills me. This will be the kingdom that truly comes, and then that kingdom turns on him. Uh, verse nine: May God deal with Abner. You know he's mad because he's talking in third person. You know that's always a good sign. Be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath. Okay, so pause here. Remember the first time we met Abner and Saul said, Who, whose son is that? What did Abner say? He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know anything about him. What's different now? Now Abner has done his homework. He knows about David. He knows who he is. So he has this knowledge about David, but hasn't given his heart to him yet. I'm going to say that again. He has this knowledge about David, but he has never given David his heart yet. Uh, verse 9, May God deal with Abner, be it ever so severely, if I do not do for David what the Lord promised him on oath, on, and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne over Israel and Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. So Abner's got some pretty good theology there as well. Verse 11, Ishbosheth did not dare to say another word to Abner because he was afraid of him. Okay, so pause right there. We're going to pick it up there in just a second, but I want to, I want to point out a couple things. Abner has been in this situation before. He, this is like a deja vu for him. Do you see what's happening here? First it was with Saul. He's chased after Saul. God's mercy is displayed in his life, and the Lord removed that which was keeping him from the Lord's anointed. Then Abner said, I'm going to set up another guy in place. Which, by the way, that's the wrath of God. The wrath of God is when we say, I want this, I want this, I want this, and, and God says, 
this is going to be bad. That's not what you want. And we, like a two-year-old or a three-year-old screaming, uh, talking from experience here, <laughs> like a three-year-old screaming, no, this is, but I want it. The wrath of God is when he says, like a father, he says, okay. He says, if, if that's what you really want, okay. And so we, we see that Abner then set up the, the new king, Ishbosheth, and then what happens? That one lets him down too. Abner has been here before. Do you see this? He, he is, this is like deja vu for him. And up to this point, we just learned Abner knew who David was. He knew good theology. He knew, he even said, look, he says right there, he said, the Lord promised him on oath and transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and establish David's throne forever. Notice this, Abner knew everything that was important to know about David, but he had never given his heart to follow him. And so this is, again, maybe this is a little bit of a warning. Be careful when, when we say, I believe in Jesus. If your belief in Jesus is, I believe that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago, friends, and I love you enough to say this, that's not saving faith. That's a historical fact that a man named Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago. Did you know even the demons believe in Jesus? Did you know that? Or, or even to say, and, and please listen very carefully, even to say, I believe Jesus was the Son of God, that is not saving faith. Why am I saying that? Because Scripture tells us even the demons look at Jesus and say, He's the Son of God. Right? Do you, do you remember the story where Jesus uh, heals, he, he goes across the, the lake and a man comes out who's um, filled with demons and Jesus says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Legion. And he, and, and he looked at Jesus and, and this, this legion of demons looks at Jesus and says, what do you want with us, Jesus Christ, Son of God? Have you come to destroy us before the appointed time? Now notice, even demonic forces know who Jesus is and, and they know how the story ends. Do you see that? That in that story they say, have you come to destroy us before the appointed time? Now, I'm not saying this to scare anyone, but it's definitely uh, worth considering. Make sure that our belief in Jesus is not the same way that I believe in Abraham Lincoln. I believe in Abraham Lincoln. I believe he did great things. I believe I watched the first 20 minutes of Lincoln the other night, and I turned it off because it was really boring. But I believe, if I asked you, do you believe in Abraham Lincoln? Everybody in this room is, I'm hoping, going to say, well, yes, of course I do. He, that's a historical fact, right? But your belief in Abraham Lincoln is not trusting in him for your salvation. That's what it means in the New Testament. To believe in Jesus is I trust in you for my salvation. I believe that you're the Christ. That's what belief means in the Greek. To trust in for salvation. Okay? And so we see here Abner, exact same story. He, he'd, been, he'd set up Ishbosheth, and he said, hey, I know who David is. I even know that his throne's going to be established forever. And now Abner looks at his life. He looks around him, and he sees, hey, this idol that I've set in place, this king I've set in place, this one's let me down again as well. And what we see is there is a change in Abner, not in his head, 
but there's a change in his heart. He, he for the first time, maybe, maybe the Lord revealed it to him, I don't know, but for the first time he looked at what he'd been doing his whole life, and then he turned and he looked at David, and he's, his heart responded. Okay, look at verse 12. This is the change we see um, in, in uh, Abner. Verse 12, Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to, to who? David. He said, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Okay? Uh, something... I wish we had more than that, but all we have is one verse. Something in Abner's heart changed. He now was rejecting what he'd been chasing, and he now wants to pursue and uh, trust the Lord's anointed King David. Something um, happened in him. Um, I think it's interesting that, that Abner had walked this road, and there was a point at which Ishbosheth turns on him, and there had to be the moment where Abner walked along, and he looked down, and he said, I've been on this road before. And he, and he looked how he got there, and he looked and he saw what was going, and he recognized, I've done this, this thing <clears throat> before, right? And so this is, um, this is something that we have a huge advantage over Abner. We have what was called, that he didn't have this thing called the church, okay? There was no such thing in the church in the Old Testament. And so we don't know what changed Abner's heart, but we do know that one of the gifts of God to the New Testament is his church. And so this is, I want to be extremely, extremely practical here, is remember church, our design is, God's design is never, ever, ever that we're alone. It's, it's that we never go through life isolated. His design is that we actually go through life together, right? And so, uh, this is how practical I want to be, is I want you to think, I want you to pray about, do you, do we, do we have someone in our lives that we're walking alongside with that they love us enough that it sometimes they may stop and they may say, hey, I think we've been on this road before. And that, and that they love you enough that they could stop you and they could say, hey, we, you've traveled down this path. We, you know where this ends up, right? And maybe even personally, just, just by yourself, maybe you even have that as well. I have these things in my life. We all have these vices. Call them whatever you want. We have these vices that, that there's a certain path that gets us there. You know what I mean? And, and I, I play stupid every time. And what do I do? It's not that I'm immediately there. What do I do? I start down that path. You know what I mean? And I have this conversation with myself every time I do it. As soon as I turn down that path, what do I say to myself? I go, Russell, you know exactly what you're doing. Right? Russell, you know exactly where this path leads. And I'm also really good at ignoring myself. As I say, no, not, not this time. Trust me. This is a different path, Russell. Trust me. I'm glad some of y'all are smiling because this is what we do is that we head down this path and, and the Holy Spirit is speaking truth to us and we, like, and we just kind of, eh, like he's an annoying gnat, get away, get away. And we lie to ourselves and we end up, 
where we've been a hundred times, and then we say, I don't know how I got here, right? Versus having people in your life that love you enough that they know, they know those paths you go down. And, and it's not that they respond when you get to the end of it, but they're able to tell, hey, hey, I think you're heading down that path again, right? And they maybe even know some of your cues that push you in that direction of, hey, hey man, I, I lo- you know that I love you, but I'm a little concerned that you're heading down that. So some of the most impactful moments of my entire life are when other men have loved me enough to take me to lunch, they buy my lunch, and they've loved me enough to say, Russ, I'm a little worried because I, I see these things you're doing, and, and we, Russell, we both know this path, and we both know where it goes, and, and we need to get off of it, because this path leads to destruction, right? Um, so that's, that's my extremely practical uh, suggestion. We have this thing called the church. Abner did not have the church. He didn't, and I wish, I wish we knew how he got to that point, but anyways, Abner looked at his path and he, with Ishbosheth, and he said, I've been down this path before. And his heart changed, and he turned to David. Uh, Verse 12, we'll finish up here. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Verse 13, Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you. But I demand this one thing. Hey, what I'm about to read, take notice of it, um, because we're going to talk about this gal in a couple weeks. Do not come into my presence unless you bring Michael, daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife, Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. Kind of a weird wedding gift, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, don't forget that name, Michael. We're going to study Michael in a few weeks. Verse 13, Ishbosheth gave orders and had her, Michael, taken away from her husband, Paltiel, son of Laash. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Baharim. Then Abner said to him, go back home. So he went back. Verse 17, we'll pick it back up with Abner. Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, For some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it, for the Lord promised David... By my servant David, I will rescue my people. Are you, are you starting to see how much head knowledge Abner had, by the way? This dude had some good historical theology. This is, man, it's interesting. Uh, by my servant David, I will rescue my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their en- enemies. Abner also spoke to the Benjamites in person. Uh, then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin wanted to do. When Abner, who had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron. Pause there. Stop. Don't look. Don't read ahead. So here's a guy that had been actively fighting against David his entire life. He had been pursuing uh, Saul. And then when Saul and Jonathan were killed, he said this other false. You know what I mean? Here's a guy that they had some beef. Like they were not cordial. David, man, what a great king he, he was. David sees Abner coming, and he, he does this. Uh, when Abner had 20 men with him, came to David at Hebron, David, what? Prepared a feast for him and his men. Then Abner said to David, let me go at once 
and assemble all Israel for my Lord the King, so that they may make a compact with you, and you may rule over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in, what's the word? Peace, right? Uh, what a great image of the king. It's not that he said, hey, Abner, you, sure, you can show up. He, no, he gave him a feast, you know. It's like the difference of being invited versus someone saying, yeah, you're welcome to come over, right? Um, if you have that friend that's always like, like, have you ever got this invitation that's like you're talking to some friends and this guy walks up and they turn to you and say, oh, we're going to dinner. You're welcome to come if you want. <laughs> that's not an invitation. Everyone, everyone knows that, right? If you get welcomed into a dinner versus, hey, we're going to dinner. Will you come with us? I'm inviting you. Like, I, I want you to be a part of this meal. This is what David does. He doesn't just put up with these people. He, the Lord doesn't just put up with us. He actually yearns for us, okay? Um, man, so David sent Abner away, then he went in peace. The reason I said man, do you, what's your next chapter title say? Or the next ch uh, paragraph title? Joab murders Abner. That's why I manned. Man. Okay, we don't have to read all that. Abner goes away in peace. Joab, who we're going to study that guy soon too, doesn't like how this has gone down. Now, and notice this. Joab doesn't like the fact that Abner, who had fought David his whole life, was now a friend of David, and he responded. Joab, very interesting guy. And Joab was on David's team. Uh, skip down to verse 38. It's the last thing I'll read. The king, this is after Abner's been murdered. The king said to his men, Do you not realize that a prince and a great man has fallen in Israel this day? Who's he talking about? Abner. Wait a minute. Hold on. This is the guy who fought you his whole life? Yeah, but his heart came to me at the end of his days. And David, notice he said two things. He said, one, he said he's a prince, which when you're a prince, what does that mean your father is? King. What an interesting bookend to Abner's life. How does it start? As Saul says, who's that man's father? Abner says, I don't know. Abner's life ends with David saying, hey, do you want to know who Abner's father is? The king. Pretty powerful. Number two, he also says, and what? And a great man. Okay. Um, the thing, the reason this is true is because the king said it was true. Is because the king said so, so it was truth, right? Um, in our house, we've got, you know, you always want to try to teach your kids the gospel. It's, you, you try to. Um, in our household, we try to, we try to distinguish between the fact that I, I love my girls and they're mine and their behavior, right? We want them to, we don't want them to ever think my love for you is contingent upon my, your behavior, right? And so the way this plays out, and we don't do this perfectly, so don't, don't put a halo on my head, but the way this plays out is that there are days when at the beginning of the day, we say, hey, we're going to go to the trampoline park. We promise. And the girls go, yay. And then all day, they're great. They're wonderful because they're excited about the trampoline park. And then when it comes to go to the trampoline park, we say, hey, we're going to the trampoline park. 
do you want to know why we're going to the trampoline park? And I'll tell you, the answer is not because you were good today. What's the answer? The answer is because what? Dad said so. Because Dad promised that's why we're going to the trampoline park. And everyone's like, oh, this is great. And we all love each other. There's also another side to that story. <laughs> same, same setup. We say, hey, we're going to go to the trampoline park today. And the kids go, yay. And all that day, it is the worst. I mean, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in our household. And it's just like, oh, my gosh. You, you know what I mean? Don't look at me like you don't know what I mean. That your kids are absolutely crazy. And, and they, listen to me, probably more than ever, they deserve less than they ever have to go to the trampoline park. And again, we're not always perfect about this. It, it, it's time to go to the trampoline park. And I look at them and I say, hey, we're going to the trampoline park. And they go, yay. And I say, do you want to know why? And they say, why? What's the answer? Because I told you we wouldn't. And, and what, I'm, what we're trying to teach these girls is your behavior has nothing to do with my love for you. And your behavior has nothing to do with the promises I make to you. Right? It's because dad said so that it's true. In the same way that in this, in this picture, gosh, I love this image. The Lord's anointed, David speaks. He says, this guy's a prince and a great man. Right? In the same way, uh, we have those promises in Christ and they have nothing to do with our behavior, right? When we get to heaven, God isn't going to say, this is because of your good behavior, or this is because of your bad behavior. It's going to be what? It's because I made a promise to my son, and you are found in him that you're here. Uh, that's it. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for um, just what you do. Thank you for your truth. I pray that we would listen to it carefully. God, I, I pray, and, and I mean this, in church, please hear me say this. I pray that we would have other men and other women in our lives, that they would look at us at times and that they would say, hey, you know this path. You know where this leads, and it's not good. And that we would have men and women that would love us enough to walk with us and to get us off those roads. We know what we're doing. We know exactly what we're doing. We really do. And then, Lord, thank you, God, that it doesn't matter which path we go down. Your promise is good. Your promise is good because you are the king and because Dad said so. Um, so help us to seek out those relationships. Help us to be serious about it. Help us, Lord, give us the faith to maybe go to another man and say, hey, I want to get serious about my personal growth in the Lord. Can you help me? Um, give us the faith to do that, Lord. That's our prayer. Amen.